You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 24, Starship, Animated, by Gene Roddenberry, September 1st, 1974. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archive of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Oh, I, Star Trek historians, of course you're with us here, but you know, the, some of these subjects, I talk about the tech heads and the canonistas and all that, and I say that lovingly, and so many times, those everybody's little niche corner of fandom, uh, you know, it, it all really overlaps. It all comes back to Star Trek. And sometimes, and we get to talk about that here, it's not always about the starships and the cuff braid and everything. Uh, we get to talk about Gene. We have this season, several, three, two or three times. Gene and his vision, what, he, what mattered to him, the activist side of Gene, especially as when he was in between his Star Treks and had time to pontificate. But, and all the projects that didn't go, and, and Gene trying to broaden his reach as a producer. Well, look, this week, <laughs> this week our document is another one of those little hidden gems. Um, if you don't know where to go, go to facebook.com slash the Trek Files. We're the only podcast with homework, and don't worry, it's easy. Uh, no, there's a fascinating pitch document there. You want to go check that out. Hang on, I'll be right back with this week's special guest. Meantime, here's a short audio sample, and then we'll be right back. The Orion Vessel Outline Format Notes About People of Today's World. They are as thrilled as we would be. Primary emphasis on stories of Earth, because gadgetry is more fun and exciting in that context. Other times and places keep story options and audience expectations in a broad range. Story could begin as an interview with a sports hero and could wind up in the original Greek Olympics. All right, Trekophiles, spelled with an F. Uh, did you see this coming? Well, look at the date on this dog. 1974, the animated series Gene has in production is going from 73 to 74. This would be the start of the second season, the animated series. So here's Gene trying to build on some kind of an animated series again. And in 1974, animation means Saturday morning kids show stuff, which they famously were fighting to expand the, expand the envelope of what was doable. You know, the animated series got, got tagged as too good for Saturday morning, and some people thought it was less than a, a live-action Trek would be. But no, we, it stands alone today and is, is really amazing, even with the 1973 budget filmation uh, animation. And here's Gene already thinking, well, maybe we'll exploit that. And I'm sure writing for Saturday morning. Oh, look, look, I'm pontificating. Let me bring you our, our uh, guest back this week. I say back because it's animation. And while, I, while we were able to uh, sit down, I thought, let's get Aaron Walke back in here and talk about a little gem. I mean, it was one thing to look at Dorothy Fontana talking about the animated series, but from the standpoint of a story and the timing, and today, I can't wait to hear what uh, Aaron has to say. And I'm talking about him in the third person because he's sitting right here with me. Aaron. Thanks for coming back. Co-executive producer of Prodigy. Yes, uh, happy to be uh, here shifting from third person to first person. <laughs> uh, this document's so interesting to me. I was going to say, there's periodness to it, but also what's, yeah, what, what strikes you as you look at well, this? Well, I, I can't help looking at it through the lens of a like an animation writer, producer in modern day and the process, because this is like an interesting peak into development, which right. is a, a phase of, of creating any television or film. 
uh, program that uh, that people don't always think about of like the process of actually getting it on the air requires you to kind of do this rather prolonged tap dance and there's a performative element that I think is rather unfair to a lot of introverted writers that would rather just be in their little caves <laughs> um, but uh, you know this is this very Not clearly dealing with people yeah exactly it's, it's well that's sort of my uh, circuitous advice to screenwriters which is like it's a very collaborative medium and is a very forward-facing medium so if you don't like being around people maybe just be a novelist <laughs> because you have to deal with other people like I had I was talking with a friend of mine a while ago that that uh, for what for better or for worse like 70% of your job as a screenwriter or as a showrunner is just dealing with other people's emotions and then the rest is actually writing or making a show um but uh but this is a really interesting document because it's like a snapshot of of gene you know clearly try as you said trying to capitalize on the momentum of the animated series yeah. maybe also but like i don't know how long this will last i should get something else in the hopper um, which is which is never ending. That's always out there. Yeah, the, 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 no matter I, the era. Yeah, I should definitely uh, qualify that in saying that that uh, the way you survive in the industry is like you don't always just kind of sit on one project. You always have to have five, six, seven other projects kind of waiting in the wings. You know, so that anytime someone says, "Oh, I love Star Trek Prodigy," what else you got? You can just say, well, I have this, and then you commit to it with your, your whole heart of like, I would love for this to be the next five years of my life. And then they say, I like it, but pass. And then you're like, okay, sure. <laughs> I like it, but can you get twin kids into it? <laughs> right. <laughs> because um, I'm looking at this and thinking this is something. For one thing, it's very uh, um, non-diverse, aside from the robot androids. Some are women, some are men. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's very 70s, I want to say bland. But it's um, we talk about secretaries and robots and androids <laughs> right. and the cute kids. I mean, on one hand... It would be, it would be, uh, well, like we watch things rebooted today and trying to make them more relevant and, and a little more diverse. But that, that, that patina is all over this. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's an interesting document because it, it, it kind of follows the, the same formula that you do now. Um, I would say. Yeah, you can see the little, the little memes and tropes are in there. Yes. <laughs> Some of which it seemed like he, it felt a, a little placeholder, if I'm being honest. Like at the end, he's just totally, like, totally. where he's just like, and then they'll have mazers, parentheses. They're basically phasers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they'll have a materializer. It's a transporter. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. just like, okay, you're, you're, you're <laughs> this is a, a working. Document, um, uh, but and a light deflector. It's a cloaking device. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He literally. It's. I, it made me wonder who this document is for. I'm guessing it was for somebody who he was already working with at filmation mm -hmm. that, that he could shorthand. Shorthand. That. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're just like, just give us something like more like Star Trek. But, and I thought it was interesting that he was like that. His pitch for this was sort of like it's Star Trek esque stuff, but on Earth. With gadgets, because I'm like, oh, he already did that in the backdoor pilot in Star Trek, you know, like like yeah. with um, uh, what, uh, oh, Mission, Assignment Earth. Assignment Earth yeah. was very much like, let's just go to modern day Earth with fun gadgets and and Spock and Kirk are just kind of like almost secondary characters in this right. spy mission that's happening, right. and it clearly that that was like something stuck in his craw, like no, no, we'll get it this time. 
Um, and you know, uh, I, I I thought that the format, the structure was interesting because in a modern day pitch for an animated show, you would tip, you, there's a lot more song and dance. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, these days you could get away with the fact you could get away with just typing out four pages. Like here's the characters, maybe they go to the the original Olympics for a time traveler, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> um, and but in in, in today, today's environment, you basically have to, you know, tell this deep personal story of that, of the inspiration, and then you say, and that brings us to this this incredible tale of William Connor. He was a reporter, and then and then you would have to, uh, you know, very quickly get through like the emotional hook, and then the the sort of the thematics, and then the, the the high concept that will bring viewers in, and then you have to segue that into you know his relationships with all the different characters and then plot out not a, not only the pilot but also the arc of the season and sometimes you have to plot out multiple seasons just to pitch a show well and i, I i'm gonna ask this too i think at the time again animation means saturday morning half hours yeah right so i just think it's a step down this is something we could talk about but because as star trek is really lucky the TV Academy might enjoy having this for everything, but <clears throat> Star Trek fans do know what pitches look like and what story bibles look like. Yeah. We all famous from the early, from the original series all the way through. We all study, and, and they're great archival snapshots too. But as far as the process of pitching and developing, and then once it's launched, here let's keep all the writers on track together. And it almost feels like, yeah, this he's dashing this off. Yeah, I, I can almost even lower than the standards of what I can also pick, almost picture him just like a stogie in his mouth. It's like. And just like throws it out of the typewriter, and his secretary catches it and runs it over to the filmation. I was always going to say, I think who he's pitching to is the guy with the stogie yeah. or, the, or the cigarette dabbling. What do you got, Gene? Okay, oh, this is something. Oh, kids, huh? Right. Okay. But but it, sometimes it happens that way. I have heard of, I let's say high pro profile animation producers who I will not be named that already had hit hit uh, shows on a, on a particular network, and then they would be like. Hey, that that's a hit. That's a hit. What else you got, kid? And yeah, then, yeah. and then, um, you know, literally, he would pitch something that he'd been working on for ages, and they'd be like, "Eh, what else?" And then, and then they'd, uh, you know, be like, "Well, I got this thing about secret agents, but they're dogs." And then they'd be like, "Yeah, do that." And then, and then, and then he would run up to his uh, his office, dash something off like this, send it to them by end of day, and like, "All right, you got a series." You know, like it. Sometimes it's that way. I wish it was. I kind of wish it was always that way because, in in my opinion, development documents are helpful in, in organizing your thoughts and obviously articulating it to your writer's room and eventually the rest of your your crew, but. I find the real meat and potatoes of storytelling comes out when you're actually trying to tell the stories. And, you know, at a certain point, there's only so many adjectives of like, he's dashing, but also no shrinking violet. And, and then it's like, what does that mean beyond just, okay, I kind of get a sense of that, the personality, but you know, yeah. what happens when they're actually and, in a And story? live action or animation, so it, you know, you're looking at the 70s and then you really get into interesting problematics through modern eyes. Uh, when we get into <laughs> descriptions of the genders and the, sure. especially the women, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think. Well, I mean, the, there's a whole plot line in here. I saw there was like there's a a robot that uh, then goes to a machine and comes out as a beautiful woman, and then all the other women are jealous of her. And I'm just like, mm. but it, but then also there was a part of me that was like, well, if you think about it, there was a whole sort of subgenre of like. 
the the wife has magic powers that this is coming that this is on the heels of you know the, you have your bewitched and your I dreams right, of right, genies right, right, right. and and I think that was very much just like a, a a trope that was commonly accepted at that time. Uh, I don't know if he put a lot of thought into how to, how to evolve it, but I just I don't know if what is it Warner Brothers Screen Gems they've got a character named Thing. I'm like oh, maybe the Adams <laughs> family. Yeah, if, I, I, there there is a, definitely a few elements where Thing was just like it's a little pet and it turns into anything. I'm like okay, so you just do the gloop and gleeper in there. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this is you know I'm talking about dashing the thing off in the anim. You know we're this. Yeah. The the whole segment even in 1974 of animation being you know. Forgive me, I'm air quoting here. Second class, a step below live action. Mm -hmm. So we've come so far since then, and you know, anime as a fandom, as a thing, as a global phenomenon itself. More animated feature-length movies, more animation with all the cable, with all the streaming, you know, and kids, kids, I'm air quoting channels, just cranking it out. But when you're still doing a serious show like Prodigy, and everybody. Prodigy is not just for kids. <laughs> we say that over and over. Uh, do you still feel that? Do you still? I mean, the whole situation with with the unions and sure. and that's historical, and you're trying to evolve out of that. But do you, what? How do you do? You still encounter that, or has the world changed a lot, or I, it still lingers? Or? I think it's it's in process. You know, I, I, I change when it comes to storytelling or socio political change or anything. It's it, it it is a kind of a slow moving sort of machine, you know, as new thoughts evolve and then about what's acceptable and who can watch what show or who can do what thing. And I, you know, I, I always say that Japan has been like 25 years ahead of us in terms of like right. the, the possibilities of animation, animated storytelling. That's not to discount the work of people like Don Bluth, who were trying to make it more adult, even, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the high era of Silver Age Disney or whatever. But, um, but I think that there there has been this sort of assumption of like, oh, cartoons are for kids. And, and it, it's a little bit of a bummer for me where sometimes I'll see comments from people that clearly someone told a lot in their in their youth, you know, told them that they can't watch cartoons because of like, ah, oh, if this wasn't animated, I, I would love this show. And I'm like, you're allowed to love it. <laughs> like, it's OK. That's still a link. Yeah, it's the whole animation is not Saturday right. morning. But that's crank that, it out that's anymore. the sort of the Marshall McLuhan of it all. Right. The medium is the mm -hmm. message. And I think that unfortunately there has been uh, in American audiences, there's been this idea that that if it's animated, then it can only tell certain types of stories with only a certain level of credulity or seriousness. And I think finally, in the last five, 10 years, Guillermo del Toro, you know, someone mm -hmm. who I've collaborated with, has been leading that march especially. But the, I think the, the, the lid is starting to come off of that a little bit, where maybe enough people like me have grown up with animated content that they still love. Um, yeah. you know, well, another, I mean, I hate to draw everything into the generations, but another generational change yeah. for everybody that came up, you know, having a theater, uh, a studio in your palm of your hand and uh, the anime generation and not, exactly. just, not just to box it up as anime, but just that whole awareness of animation as a, and not seeing it as second, like your friend. <laughs> Gosh, yes. I wish this was an animation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I think it's, it's in, it's changing. And I think, you know, shows like ours in Lower Decks and certainly films like Pinocchio and, and, um, 
uh, Spider-Verse and stuff that are able to tell stories that are just emotionally profound and complex, and they just happen to have that sort of high-concept genre uh, patina that, that allows you to tell a story about generational trauma, but you throw a vampire into it, and people <laughs> will, are cool with it. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I you know I made the reference to to the labor unions. I mean, you're a member. Uh, a lot of people are dual membership, yeah. but in TAG. Yeah. In the, the so Prodigy group. is an, is part of the Animation Guild, local eight three nine, I think, um, which is part of IATSE. Um, you know, and we it's it's a, a strange and again constantly evolving conversation that that there <laughs> there is a. Uh, um, a profession that, that you could do in a very specialized field where you could do the exact same job for the exact same networks and uh, get paid wildly different rates for it, minimums. Right. Um, and, and that shouldn't be that way. And I think the WGA is, is trying to fight for their future. Uh, TAG, similarly, last year pushed very hard to try to get parity and, and have them uh, if if we can't all be under one house, just make them be the same so it doesn't right. matter. Um, and there's a very long history of why that is. And you may wind up with a with a, a Screen Actors Guild and an AFTRA kind of equivalence until finally they merge. Yeah, on the, on the and performer the, actor. Yeah, there's there's a side. there's a very long confusing reason why it's complicated to do something like that, but it's not impossible. And and you know, I wouldn't be a good Star Trek fan if I said it was. And <laughs> anything's possible. Well, anyway, we're all, we're all waiting on Prodigy to find a home, right, as we speak. Hopefully, maybe by the time this airs, we'll have some news that way on the strikes. Yeah, hope, hope springs eternal. But in, until then, we've got uh, Prodigy is so wonderful. I say this for the 47th time. It's not just for kids, or it's not even just for kids and parents. I keep finding solo fans who watch it all by themselves. Hey, until about two months ago, I was just a guy, and I liked it a lot, even though I worked on it. That's right. New dad. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Aaron, this has been such a pleasure. I, I really am glad, uh, you know, there's times when you cringe a little bit reading 1974 E's here. But I find it fascinating, too. Yeah, yeah. And some of the, uh, they may be a little clunkily put here, clunkily, that's my nude. But uh, it's, it's, yeah, some of those same uh, needs of a show are still are still with us. Absolutely. And uh, some of the same needs of hearing from folks like you. So I'm so glad that you were able to stop by with us again. My pleasure, as always. <laughs> and we're all hashtagging Save Star Trek Prodigy. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Now all of our documents and your chance to comment, and gang, please do, Trekophiles, are available right there at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Now for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47. Yes, that's me. <laughs> at LarryNimacek.com. Hey, that's where you can also... Check up and link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts, too, at our Tee Public shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.